Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 423, Origins Award Nominations. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers, but our brand new Patreon backer, Charlie, a brand new producer. Thanks so much. You rock. All right, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of BGA. And for this particular feature review, we are going to be talking about the Origins Game Awards. So it's award season, clearly, as it seems like everyone, everyone, and I mean everyone, is out there giving awards uh, this time of year. So Origins and the Gen Cons and, you know, all of the big conventions that are happening right now, it's all about the new stuff coming out. So, Anthony, Origins Game Awards. We've we've talked about this for many years, and it's up and happening. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, because, like, two weeks ago, I, I made a joke, like, oh, everybody gave their awards at the beginning of the year, but then we have three episodes in a row where we're just going through <laughs> award nominations. I'm like, oh, that's right, there are three big award shows this time of year. Not to mention the Spiel des Jahres, which they'll announce their nominees next month. Um, so, yeah, Origins Game Fair, uh, they run that every year in June. This is the uh, Gamma's official show um, out in mm-hmm. Ohio, and they have an awards ceremony. We've been to it several times. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, voted huh you get to vote at the if you come to the convention which is nice oh yeah yeah yeah, absolutely yeah so you can kind of they have like a little space you can kind of check out the games it's a little messy but there's stuff there you can check them out um and so historically when we talked about the origins game fair award nominations we made fun of them um because they've been pretty bad in the past i don't think they're as bad this year i think it's it's pretty the things actually seem to fit the categories and it's a little more representative of the hobby but that's that's we do like to cover it for <laughs> posterity. It's less fun for us when they actually get their things straightened out. I know. Mess it up game, so we can make fun of you. Yeah. The games didn't match the categories, especially I think it was the family game or the, you know, entry level stuff. And it's like the family game category. It's like Cards Against Humanity and Blood Rage and pretty little pony and just like wait what no what like how what whose family is this now again you could have a family of any type any age any orientation of people but that was a little weird it was it was children's games party games and i don't know weird oddities it was kind of the dumping ground for a lot of games so that was always a lot of fun and the categories generally were a lot of fun because they were out there as far as how they denoted certain things now We've nitpicked, but nitpicked out of love. But uh, this year seems to be a little bit more on board, so it'll be a fun list. Yeah, yeah, no, it'll, we'll we'll give it the same treatment we have the last couple of weeks. We'll run through <laughs> them, we'll talk about them, what we think about the category, what we think about the nominees, um, which is always fun because inevitably, despite playing however many games we play every year, these award lists sometimes pop up, and we're like, I don't know what that is, and then we have to look sure. it up, and we learn more about it. Yeah, we see a lot of these games from around the world, especially in Europe, and sometimes they don't get a chance to come out to the U.S. And these lists typically are reflective of last year, I guess, giving time for people to play all the games, nominate the games. And this year, the Origins Game Fair Awards has some pretty cool nominations. So we'll be talking about that in our feature review. I don't think there's another awards. I think we're good, right? Nothing next week. We actually could do a regular episode. Next week for sure, yeah. But we've got the, the spill this yard coming up in a couple, like three weeks, four weeks. Oh, nominations. Oh. <laughs> oh no! 
All right. So we'll be talking about that at a later point. But before we get into all that, Anthony, uh, we're doing a lot of cool stuff, too. It's not it's not just about the awards, man. A lot of cool stuff is happening in board gaming. And there is something very cool coming up at Gen Con. So why don't you tell everybody about it, Anthony? Yeah, so we've we've told you all about the uh, board game academics, right? We, we had a special episode about it. We've announced it. We've talked about it several times over the last six months. Uh, and it's happening, folks. Board Game Academics is happening, and we're going to be having our launch conference uh, meeting at Gen Con. So Woo-hoo! we will be presenting at Trade Day at Gen Con uh, that Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the JW Marriott. And it will be an opportunity to kind of share some of the amazing work that people have submitted. Um, our editorial board has selected um, several fantastic uh presentations that are going to be shown at, at, at the show. We have several people coming in to Indianapolis, several others going to be joining virtually. So if you are at Gen Con and you have a trade day pass, so if you are a retailer or if you are in um, academia of any sort, you can get a, a trade day pass, you should join us. Um, if you cannot do that, there will also be an option to join us virtually, which I will be posting to all of our various channels in the next week or two. So you'll be able to register to, to do that. Um, and if you're hearing this now and it's not up yet, you can go to the website, boardgameacademics.com, and there's a form to fill out. And then I will email you from that list once everything is up and the registration is ready. So we're very excited. It's it's you know a long time coming. We've been working on this for like a year and a half, and we're really excited to finally be able to pull it together at the biggest game show in the, in the country, which is amazing. So hopefully you, you can join us one way or another. Yeah, please. We would love to have you there. A lot of work on our part, but especially a lot of amazing work from all of these researchers, academics, game designers, just people out there in the industry, people who are sitting at the game table, just like you and I, and think a little deeply about the games that they're playing, their impact in society and society's impact on the games. And, you know, primarily, what does the game do and why does the game do it and what's interesting about it? So I think this takes gaming to the next level, and I think it's a good opportunity for you to kind of expose other people to gaming, because sometimes people are like, oh, I knew gaming when I was a kid. This doesn't really have anything to offer, but just kind of like a silly waste of time. And like, no, it has a tremendous value in areas that you couldn't possibly imagine. So if you love board gaming as much as we do, I guarantee you that one of these presenters and eventually the people in the journal will demonstrate things about gaming that you could not possibly imagine about the things that are on your shelf. And I think it's a new way to kind of explore who we are as people and the games that we play and that we love so much. And for all those publishers and designers out there, we especially want you to attend because, again, I think there's a good opportunity for you to understand your game in a greater context. You might have made it out like a game of love. We've taken it so much further. And again, so many great people doing so much great research out there. And this is going to be an ongoing thing. So cutting edge research, getting out there into the world and all based on tabletop gaming. So thank you all for your support. Thank you for getting this message out to the community. We're always trying to make board gaming, tabletop gaming great for everybody. And this is just another example of it. Thanks to all of your support. So, Anthony, that's what's going on with us. What's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week? All righty, folks. Question of the week time. Um, and so I, I've gotten a request from somebody on the Patreon um, to kind of clarify, like, the process of how this works. Because I think it's 
maybe a little opaque, but there is actually a process that we follow. So I think it'll be helpful to know like when things go up and when you need to reply by if you want to be considered for the contest. Which again, if you are a Patreon backer, you are entered into the contest if you submit uh, an answer to one of our questions. So like we, we, we read through them, we choose our favorite answers to read on the show, and then we choose one of those favorites to win the prize. Um, a minimum of twice a month. <laughs> so uh, basically how this works, though, is every Tuesday around the same time, usually in the morning, um, I'll post a question. It goes up on Patreon, it goes up in the Discord, and it goes out to Facebook and Twitter. If you're a backer to be considered for this, for the contest, you have to respond in Patreon or um, Discord. And that's mostly just because I, I don't cross-check everything between them, right? Um, give everybody like three days to respond to questions. Friday morning, I take a look, pull everything together. These are the ones we're going to present on the show. We record on Fridays, and then we choose a winner. So the the process is fairly straightforward. You have like three and a half days to respond. Um, you can absolutely respond after that. But if you do respond over the weekend, you're like, why didn't you read my answer? And it's because we record on Friday and publish Monday. So there's like a three-day gap there between recording and publishing. Um, so anyways, just a little peek behind the curtain so you know how this all works and to make sure you get your answers in because these are a lot of fun to read and I don't want to miss any. All right. So this week's question, what original board game IP would best support a movie or television series? Um, specifically posting this because we're kind of seeing a lot of this or at least a little bit more than usual, right? We have the Dungeons and Dragons movie just came out. It was very good. Um, there's been weird talk about Terra Mystica getting optioned for possible screen time, which is crazy because I don't know what you do with that IP. Um, <laughs> there's been other board games in the past turned into movies with yes. really only one of them being successful, um, but several other attempts. So what what in the hobby space would we like to see? So we got a lot of good answers here. Uh, again, starting on the Patreon uh, Corey says Scythe and Gloomhaven would make fantastic original series, maybe even a Rise of Fenris film. Uh, the writing wasn't great, but the overall plot was fantastic. So we had a lot of answers for Scythe and Gloomhaven. Um, Drew mentions Root, diverse dynamics of forest factions vying violently for power or peace. The Those three are mentioned maybe a dozen times between all the different channels where people are answering this question. We had a lot of answers over on Facebook as well, and a lot of them were Root. Scythe and Gloomhaven, um, which makes sense. And honestly, if I was going to put my money on one of those, I would say like maybe Gloomhaven be able to pull it out. Just the amount of money and focus that that company puts on that game. Uh, other fun stuff, though. We got a lot of good answers otherwise. Robert says Aeon's End might be a fun watch. A bunch of breach mages defending their city against the nameless. A new villain could pop up every week. It could explore the origin story or flesh out the interpersonal conflicts between the characters. Who doesn't? like a little petty drama while watching people fight for their existence. <laughs> so I love it. I love, I love games that are just like mechanically sound and have like a little bit of lore and backstory. And then you kind of like, what could you do with that? Cause you need mm. something, right? Um, Chris has a reality TV challenge. Uh, this Ooh. is a good one. Building the real castles of mad King Ludwig. Nice. Uh, so be filmed over the course of an entire year to allow for construction time. Of course, each week, <laughs> Watch teams of architects and designers pick from a limited pool of room designs and resources to design wacky and crazy castles to meet the whims of this season's Mad King. Love it. Should we? Yep. Uh, and he goes on. Should we put the billiards room next to the kitchen? Yes. That way we can serve drinks more quickly to the Mad King. 
But that also puts <laughs> the billiards room next to the king's bedroom. Won't that be noisy? Back to the drawing boards. Uh, so a couple other notes here. See time-lapse videos of construction in progress. Watch as the Mad King tours the top two finished castles. Vote on which team you think does best. Um, really thought this through, Chris. Good work. <laughs> Uh, over on the Discord, a couple of good answers over here as well. Mini Mega Moose says, "Not sure if I should make the obvious nemesis joke, joke or join the probable an- army of scythe answers." Um, but goes a different direction. Although what I'd most enjoy seeing is an attempt at a movie version of a Nietzsche abstract, maybe through the desert. Everyone's camels were abducted by aliens and returned in a different pastel colors, and they get very combative when seeing similar colors from another family. Nice. So, Literal game mechanics. Love it. Um, Enoch says, also in the Discord, perhaps a movie of two workers in an automotive factory trying to one-up each other and impress Sandra from Kanban EV. Yeah. Uh, Or or a period drama of obsession showcasing a troubled family estate and their attempted rise to prominence. Or maybe a movie of the perils and challenges of building an underwater city in a failing world. Underwater cities, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. just a wonderful slew of movie options here. You're all being very creative this week. I love it. I so, love it. Going 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 deep with the mechanics too. Yeah, that's that's the part I like the most. Is not just like, oh yeah, root would be a good one, but like, what what would we do with that? What does that look like? Uh, and there's a bunch more answers. I didn't read all of them just because we had so many this week. So thank you to everybody who submitted. Um, Got to give the win this week to Chris. So the the in-depth walkthrough, the kind of pitch basically for the building the real castles of Mad King Ludwig. I don't love that game, but I would watch that show. <laughs> so. I love that game. And I was as a former architect student for four or five years. Yeah. I would, I would watch that all day long. Yeah. That'd be fun. It'd be expensive to make, but it'd be fun. And <laughs> <laughs> eh, they could find out they, they could do it. Minecraft style. They, yeah. They could, uh, yeah. yeah. Legos. Do Lego? <laughs> oh, Legos! Like they, there actually was a Lego reality show. It's still on. Oh, is it still on? There you yeah, go. Lego Masters. Yeah, it's fun. To, it's it's a good family show too. So it's good for the kids. And the loser has to step over the Legos. That's that's the. <laughs> uh, that'd be good. Yeah, I think just just throwing off the top of my head, I think Time Stories oh, would yeah. be great because we've gotten. I mean, Quantum Leap kind of fits a little bit best. But I think the idea of leaping into different realities or different dimensions and then tying in like that true crime aspect of trying to figure out a mystery within that particular dimension would be a lot of fun. And that's something that could, you know, go from week to week trying to figure that that all out. So, um, yeah, time stories. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, there's a few that I've thought of. Um, and, you know, there are some worlds that already have like books that are made. Right. So, like, oh, yeah. Anything Fantasy Flight. There's the, the TI4 universe, for example. That'd be cool. That'd and there's be already amazing, fiction yeah. written about it. So why not? Um, Terraforming Mars. There's novels now being written in that world. Yeah. And Supposedly it's going to be picked up for a movie, too. Is it? Oh, okay. Yes. So they're ahead of us. Mm-hmm. They're, they're already ahead of us. Um, Anachrony is another one that I feel like might have gotten an option at some point. Somebody posted, mm-hmm. and I can't find it in front of me now. That I think Anachrony, believe- and, Anachrony and also uh, Tricarion. Oh, I think that yeah, was that there was uh, a lot of talk about that. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because magicians, you know, during that kind of Victorian age, steampunk kind of stuff. I oh, think yeah. that'd be a lot of fun, too. Yeah, we haven't had a good one of those since The Prestige and the other movie that was exactly like Prestige <laughs> came out at the same time. Yeah. Like 20 years ago. 
It's true. So, well, thank you all for submitting and thank you all for creating such a wonderful community out there and sharing all your responses. Even if it's not the most like fully constructed, detailed, blueprinted, we would love to hear it. So please hit up all our social medias. This is really where our gaming community is most potent to get great ideas out there. And who knows, maybe we'll see a game or maybe we'll actually see a movie at some point. All right, so that's everything that's going out with our listeners. Anthony, let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All righty. So mine is based on a recent Man vs. Meeple video um, that kind of broke down the new Ark Nova expansion. This has mm. been renamed. It was Aquarius when they first announced it. Now it's called Marine Worlds. Um, and we now know more or less what's in the box, which is great, because before we just knew that it existed. And I was excited about it, but it didn't mean anything. So now I'm like, cool, we actually know what's coming. Um, so the new elements to the game, the stuff that's most important here, we have the addition of reef dwellers, right? So mm. new uh, aquatic animals that can be thrown into the game. Um, and like new ways that they trigger based on how many you have on those reefs, because half the sea animals are reef dwellers. They've also thought about different ways to adjust the deck. So you will cycle the cards through the deck faster since you're adding more cards. It's a bit of a patch for deck dilution, but at least they've thought of it, whereas other games don't even bother to, to do anything. You know, Terraforming Mars, you end up with 400 cards, and you're like, whatever. <laughs> we just have too many cards in the deck now. So at least here you were kind of cycling a little bit. Um, they're adding a new university, uh, the Breed Registry, so you can kind of expand there a little bit. Um, and they've added alternate versions of four of the five action cards. So not only will you have different action cards, but now they can be drafted at the start of the game. So you can replace some of the standard cards you have with these upgraded versions after the draft at the start of the game, which I love because it adds more asymmetry at the beginning of the game, which the game always had a little bit with the, the player boards. But like this was our review, I think, when we first played it. It's like it needs a little bit more and it needs a jump start. And this kind of covers both of those things. Um, so kind of a, a mishmash of stuff here. we got some patching stuff. We've got some adjustments to actions. We have a whole new type of animal. Um, I'm excited for it. I, I like Arc Nova. I don't think I love it nearly as much as a lot of people, but I do like it. It's in my ballpark for sure. Um, but all of these changes sound good to me. And it doesn't add a fifth player, which I was worried about because this game at five <laughs> would be torture. Just yeah. eight hours of torture. Do not do it. <laughs> Someday Fearland Spiel is going to be like, yeah, fifth player. And I'm like, no, <laughs> nobody buy this. Um, so just four players and then a bunch of new stuff. I'm excited. Yeah, I think the prelude mechanic quasi prelude mechanic is is certainly the best thing for me because i do think that this game has a tremendously slow start and even though you're kind of drafting and, and deciding what you're going to play you still can get a hit i mean more in this game than i would say terraforming mars do i constantly get a hand of stuff that i can't play anytime soon and that kind of bums you out because like you're, you're about to start the game, you're excited, you're into it, and you get a, bu a bunch of big animals that you can't play, you know, until like a half hour later. And it's just like, oh, no, I, I don't want any part of that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad. This is great. This is great. And again, obviously, it expands thematically 
some of the most interesting, you know, marine creatures that are out there. So, um, yeah, the more the better. This is great. I, I, like you said, it's more of the same, but that's not a bad thing. And they're revising some of the earlier kind of stuff up front, which is also very cool. So, yeah. I, the only thing I say I could say is I wish they went full prelude. It doesn't seem like that's the case. It yeah. seems like, like a little bit of a patch to kind of stream, you know, give you some asymmetry rather than streamlining yeah. as much. I would love just like a full blown. You're skipping the first three turns of the game. Here's a bunch of yes, like terraforming Mars did, but yeah, because maybe it didn't work in testing, or maybe they're just going to get there later. I don't know. Yeah, because I think in the beginning of the game, it's pretty rote what you do, what everyone's doing, and I always find that boring. Because if 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 you like, oh, you know, the first three, you do these things and these things, like, uh huh, uh, all right, and and it doesn't feel like a build up. It feels like you know, you're just waiting to be able to do something. Like when you play Lords of Waterdeep, usually they're, by the time on the first round, when it gets to you, there's no additional buildings that have already been built. So you're getting like low level stuff and you're probably going for quests so that you can build up your thing. But then it gears up. Yeah, It's just kind of like, it doesn't do anything and then eventually you can do something. So yeah. it's got the same terraforming Mars problem. It's got the scythe problem where like, yes. you need, there's a baseline of stuff you need before you can do anything interesting. Yes. And that's what you're doing for your first few turns with minimal variance because you haven't powered up your abilities yet. You haven't built anything to store animals yeah. yet. You have a limited amount of money. So you just kind of kind of chip away at that to get going. Yeah. And I think that's fundamentally the problem with the game. I wanted to see like super asymmetrical gameplay. I didn't want to see like everyone's either from a different country or is based in a different zoologist, you know, and they have a unique power set that kind of like plays uniquely to them. I mean, again, that's probably maybe too much to ask at this point, but again, maybe some point, you know, hopefully in the future, because if they could speed this game up or differentiate it a little bit based upon the players, I think, I think the game sings really well. Again, it's just, just those first couple of rounds that are like very, very slow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like they're thinking about it, whether or not they're getting there or not. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, But I'll pick it up. We'll play it. We'll see how we like it. Sounds good. Look, looking forward to it. All right. Um, I guess somewhat on that same kind of, you know, area of expertise. I recently did my Patreon uh, Kicking the Habit episode. I covered 12 games that are on Kickstarter. Didn't see anything just that blew me away on GameFound yet, but I'm still taking a look. One of the games that I was really interested in and one of our patrons were talking about it, uh, Botany, Flower Hunting in the Victorian Era. Um experience the thrill of the hunt and botany the ultimate victorian flower collecting game from one to five botanists so sorry i think there is five players in this game yep oh um, <laughs> uh this is up on kickstarter and it's already surpassed by a great deal it's backing amount again once upon a time that was an actual thing that we actually worried about and now it's just yeah. like now it's just like how you know they put they put down like a thousand dollars here it's like five thousand dollars like you're gonna get five thousand dollars dude uh so yes they've surpassed their backing and this is a game about botany in the victorian era as the description states and again kind of like obsession it does a very good job of establishing that theme through beautiful thematic artwork that that is or would be of that time so what we're looking at here is endless numbers, not endless necessarily, but a whole bunch of different flowers. And again, they're depicted through artwork in that time. So 
if you've ever seen any of those old kind of like encyclopedia of flowers, beautiful artwork here, also artwork of people and places and things such. So basically what you're doing is you're traveling the globe in order to collect interesting flower specimens for your garden. And it has this very old timey map to it. And you are, you know, circum you're going around the world here and you're picking up different specimen cards. So at the start, you get a bunch of specimens. You have to find these specimens. You fund your trip. Uh, there's cards that will support you as far as animal companions to be able to help you, specialists that will be able to help you in a particular fields. And then as you collect these different flowers, you're able to keep them and then be able to display them. But also there's some entertaining going on because it's the Victorian era. And for some reason, you're always entertaining other people. And there's also some kind of global effect and player effect cards where you're rolling dice to see how certain events affect you throughout the game. So traveling, collecting, and then displaying, and then events as part of your particular state. It's a very, very beautiful game. Uh, it's definitely something to take a look at. I think it has legs. The question is, how complex is it? This is always the thing with Kickstarter. Having not played this game, having not had a review copy of this game, couldn't tell you if it has any kind of weight to it other than the thematic beauty that is kind of implied here in this game. So uh, it's up on Kickstarter. I recommend taking a look at it. If you want to pick up a copy of the game, it's about $39 US, which is fairly inexpensive on Kickstarter. So it makes it an attractive thing to maybe pick up because again, you're getting beautiful artwork and you're getting what seems to be a fairly good game, at least from their rule book here. Uh, the coins are kind of crazy expensive, but you don't need the coins to play this game. So, yeah, that is Botany, Flower Hunting in the Victorian Era on Kickstarter right now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah. I love the artwork. Yeah, it's it's very distinct. And again, it, it, you could play this aside you know, next to like Obsession. You're, we're, I, I don't know why. We're, we're building Victorian game collections now at this point. It seems to be the thing. It was zombies, it was pirates, and now it's Victorian age. All right, so that's the games that we want to be able to pick up. Let's talk about the games that hit the table. So Anthony, I got some really great games here. I got two great games that I was able to pick up recently online. First off, I guess we should talk about it. I mean, it was just May the 4th, be with you, my friend. So you gotta play a Star Wars game, man. You know, it's just the thing. I don't know, what, what day is it now? It's not Revenge of the 5th. So what is it? Yeah, it's Revenge Think of the 5th. <laughs> Poor Cinco de Mayo. It's been subjugated yeah. by Star Wars. Well, that's what the Empire does, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you have your holidays, Anthony. I have mine. Okay, that's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> so I got a chance to play Star Wars, the deck building game. I was really excited to pick this up. We talked about this in an earlier preview. It is, again, one of those games that you have played before because it is a deck builder. And Anthony, what kind of deck builder is it? Do, do you remember the game that it's somewhat kind of related to? Oh, yeah, the Star Rims ripoff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's Star that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very much a Star Realms game. So if you played Star Realms, which, again, was you against another player that has, you know, base points and you're attacking each other, but you have an opportunity to have, like, capital ships and bases to protect you, and then there's a market row in which you'll be able to purchase cards from to go into your deck to play out later, and then it's a little bit you know, wash, rinse, repeat as you continue to play cards to get money, to purchase more cards, 
and to purchase more damage to attack the other player. The same exact thing is true here, but now it's Star Wars themed. That being said, I will say that this does some other things that Star Realms hasn't done. So it does improve upon some of those basic mechanics. So again, you are either the Rebels or you're the Empire two-player game. You Supposedly in the rules, you could play a four-player game. You have to purchase a second set, but that's another story for another day. Uh, and again, you start off with a base you know, base hand, which just gives you money and gives you some attack power. You play five cards. And now this is where the game kind of takes a little bit of a difference. So when you play the five cards in the game, of course, you're able to purchase additional cards to go in your deck. But those additional cards that you can purchase for your deck can only be of your faction. So if you're the Rebels, you'll see on some of the cards there are the Rebel symbol, again, Empire, Empire symbol, and you'll purchase those cards to go into your particular deck. In addition to that, there is a neutral faction. There's just, I don't even know if you would say a neutral faction, it's just neutral cards. And these are ships and different bounty hunters and different you know pilots and such. And you're able to purchase those to also go into your, you know, your discard to eventually become part of your deck. Now, here's the difference. Well, other than the neutral faction, you also get attack power. Now, this attack power, again, of course, allows you to attack the other player. Now, in this game, everyone has bases. And that's basically what you're shooting at. You're shooting at the other player's base. In this case, there are planets. And they are different planets from the Star Wars universe. And... All but, I guess, one, which is the starting planet, has some sort of special ability that benefits the player. So you're trying to attack and destroy that planet's base. You're also able to attack the faction cards in the market row of the other player, which, again, does a little bit of a hate drafting mechanic, which, again, is cool because it's weaponized. And also, when you destroy the cards of the other faction, you get bonuses. So you'll get some additional money and such, which is pretty cool. So you have a, if you're, the way they kind of classify it, if you're rebels, you have sap, you're doing sabotage. If you're the empire, you're doing bounty hunting. So it allows you to kind of clear out that market, get a bonus so that you can put your other cards, hopefully randomly, other cards will come out to the market that benefit you in the future. And also it scores you points and a whole bunch of other things. So as the game goes on, you're adding capital ships to protect your planet. Your capital ships have a benefit or bonus. It also typically has its own kind of shields. So there are cards that attack planets directly, but most cards have to go through the capital ships first. So it's a good layer of protection. And then you have your own hero cards and ship cards and everything is from the Star Wars universe. It's all artwork, which is very good artwork. So I'm really happy to see that. I'm glad that they didn't go with the pictures from the show or the movies. And it works really well. I am actually really surprised. As someone who owns Star Realms, who's played the app endless numbers of time, it's I find that it's better than Star Realms. I like the idea of having neutral cards out there that are for both players. I like the idea that there are faction cards just for both players. You know, when we play Star Realms, you can collect certain factions, and the more you collect of the faction, they kind of snowball and trigger off each other. Here, the same thing is true. They will trigger and benefit off each other, but you can only collect your particular faction, which, again, is very thematic. 
It's not like the DC deck builder where you're collecting heroes and villains at the same time, which again, makes no particular sense. But again, that was a fun game in and of itself. So for, you know, Star Wars, uh, the deck building game, I'm going to give it a buy. It's fairly inexpensive. It's a small box. The insert's kind of weird. There is cubes that come along with the game so that you could track damage and money. I wish they would have went a little bit further on the production value. They're just little cheap plastic cubes, and they really don't add too much to the game. They're like yellow and like this fuchsia pink purple. I would recommend if you do play this game, uh, check out um, one of the optional rules, which is to pay off neutral cards. One of the challenges of this game is that you can find yourself in a situation where the market row just has cards that benefit the other player and or maybe a particular kind of neutral card, playing with the optional role to be able to pay off the neutral cards to leave allows you to get something else out there that might work best for you instead of cluttering up your deck. So with that minor exception that there's market row cards, it's a really great game. And I'm really I'm really impressed by this. I think they, they could have sat and just did Star Realms, but they did it like a step better. So yeah, absolute buy for me. Awesome. Yeah, I got to play this. I, I picked up a copy at some point and I was like, oh, the kids will like it. And it just hasn't hit the table yet. I got to get it done. Yeah. And this definitely plays well with the kids because, again, you're only managing two resources, money and attack. And the text is pretty clear. The rule book looks a lot bigger than it really is. It just gives you a lot of scenarios and a lot of setups. And basically, it's just back and forth. You play five cards. You do what you can do. They play five cards. They do what they can do. That's pretty much it. It's not a hard game. Definitely could play it with, I guess, older kids. I would say, I don't know, seven, eight up, you know, as far as that's concerned. So, yeah, check it out. Buy it. It's a great game. Another game I was able to get to the table was one that we previewed over at PAX Unplugged. This is Rebuilding Seattle. I was able to purchase a copy online. I was really excited when this game came out. Anthony and I got a chance to play this. Really enjoyed the game. It was a little little muddled because it was it was kind of like a teaching game and it was a demo kind of situation. Uh, but it was really a fun, interesting game. So I was happy to pick it up from WizKids. This is from Quinn Brander. And I got this at the table a couple of times, including a solo mode, which I was surprised actually came in the game. So let me talk about the game. If you have not heard about it, I know we talked about it a little bit. Basically, you're rebuilding Seattle. <laughs> Again, not, not a big surprise here. Turns out there was a great fire in 1889, and it burned down most of Seattle, and you're a city planner tasked with building it back up again. So you're managing different economic resources and plotting out how you're going to put the different neighborhoods and, and city centers together. There's landmarks. There's city building. Basically, it's suburbia, but suburbia rebuilding Seattle. So... That's pretty much. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. But what's different about the game, of course, is that it utilizes a lot of different mechanics. So while it has that same idea that there are civic centers and industrial and commercial, basically what you're doing in the game is you're managing your own particular player board that is trying to accomplish serving the public and meeting their particular needs as much as possible. So you have um, an anemone track where you're trying to, you know, prioritize, you know, food and selling items and entertainment. So throughout the game, you're taking a look at how you are managing those different resources for people. 
and seeing how it matches up with the population. So throughout the game, that's kind of a push-pull kind of situation. And it also, based on how you're able to move up this blue, pink, and orange track, again, entertainment, goods, and food, uh, you'll score points and food throughout the game. Now, the main part of the game comes down to city building, which is based upon uh, placing polyominoes on the board. So everyone knows I'm a big fan of polyominoes. I'm not a big fan of polyominoes, but I'm a big fan of polyominoes here because you start with a base of the game, which is like this little kind of base card. Everyone has their own particular base card and it has a unique little setup, not radically different, but it gives you a little bit different resources to get started. And you start with a suburb, which is a little blank tile that has symbols on it. And this is where you're going to start building out of the main city center. So as the game goes, you are going to do pretty simple things. You are going to be able to purchase a card from the market. Money is tight in this game. And when you purchase a card from the market, it's going to move up one of your quality tracks, typically, um, or one of your, you know, your pink, orange, and blue. And basically throughout the game, you're placing polyominoes out on the board. And based on how they, you know, relate to the board, whether or not they cover symbols, and typically you don't want to cover symbols, and I'll get to that in why in a second. Um, but based on where they're situated, how many of them are out there, you're going to be able to score points, score money, and then I'll talk about some bonus cards in a minute. But basically, you're arranging these polyominoes into your city center and your suburbs to benefit you in the city as much as possible. Now, I love the fact that this has a little asymmetric kind of feel to it, because like I said, you start with that kind of baseboard, but you also start with the ability on your player board, everyone has a different player board, to have a set of laws. So during each of the three rounds, you'll be able to take your marker and implement a particular law that's going to be of benefit to you. It's going to give you resources, manage your population and such. And as the game goes on, it's all about timing. And it's about timing because as you're putting these polyanomals out there and as you're collecting cards, some cards give you benefits right away. Some cards give you end game bonuses, which you're going to try to you know, maximize as much as possible. But there's also cards in the middle of the board, these action cards that are going to allow different things to score. So we talked before about the pink, orange, and blue. Those event cards are going to score pink, orange, and blue, not just for you, but for everyone at the table. So you want them to score when it benefits you the most, but you have to be careful because other players are going to want to score them when it benefits them most. So there is a basic race as far as scoring those event cards as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Everyone gets to score them, kind of like Race for the Galaxy or San Juan, but the person who does utilize the card or flips the card over as their action is going to get a little bonus token on top of it to place into their particular city. There's also a card that benefits the landmarks out there. So there's a lot of opportunities to score in this game. And I think for a polyomino game, it does allow, you know, a lot of flexibility. I think a lot of polyomino games don't always allow that. It's very tight. Um, this is a little bit looser. This is a little bit lighter. I would say that in some ways this is lighter than Suburbia because you don't get the massive penalties, but you just don't get a lot of, you know, resources or benefits throughout the game. So there are six different scoring cards, event cards, 
And as those score rounds come to an end, you you push up the population because now the city is growing, which makes it harder to meet the demands. But you do the best you can. And in particular, what's really kind of blows people out of their mind, <clears throat> excuse me, is that there are these big kind of massive city tiles that you'll be able to put into play. And these tiles are landmarks from Seattle. And each of these different landmark cards at the beginning of the game, you get three and you pick two. Those are going to give you particular ways to score a lot of points. Now, they're expensive. And again, as I said, money is kind of tight. And these big uh, landmarks are hard to fit on your main board. But if you can fit them and you can maximize them, they're probably going to win you the game. So that's pretty much it. Rebuilding, rebuilding Seattle is a fun economic city building game. It's definitely it's definitely one of my... F- I have to say, like I played a bunch of games this year, more games than I played at this time at any year. And Rebuilding Seattle is probably my favorite at this point. I love it. It's great to get to table. The only downside I will say is the insert is lousy for what the game is because there's a lot of polyominoes and they're all different shapes and sizes. And setting this game up and breaking this game down and putting it away takes a lot of time and effort. And when you're playing with a lot of people, that can be a little bit of a problem. But otherwise, rebuilding Seattle is absolutely positively a buy for me. Yeah, I love it too. Obviously, I mean, go back and listen to my review from episode four eleven. Uh, also gave it a buy. Uh, this is one of the better games that WizKids has released in recent years. So yes. it's like go pick it up, track it down. I'm not seeing as much buzz about this as, as I would like. So all of you play this game. I think the I think from the pictures, people might think the game is more complicated than it is. Oh yeah. Maybe just because there's a lot of cards on the table and there's rows and rows of cards based upon the number of players at the table. So if you look at this and you see a four player game, you're going to be like, wow, it's a lot of cards. I wouldn't even know what to do. It's not. You're basically going to spend as much money as you can to get as many tiles as you can, then activate the event cards and then hopefully save enough up for the landmarks and you're good to go. It's it. I would say that you're a big polyomino guy. I'm not. And for right. re- and again, we wanted to get to reasons at this moment, but I think it's, I think the game offers enough freedom of play and, you know, freedom for placement that I never felt, I never felt restricted. Like I never felt I was, you know, like, Oh, here's a dumb shape that I have to squeeze in into a dumb area. I mean, that's my, that's how I feel about it, but this never, never gave me that problem with that feel yeah yeah uh, it's I, i'm glad you like it that's, that's all i would say because it's a good game but you know the polyominoes didn't ruin it right <laughs> so. no the polyominoes no i think the polyominoes i i think it the polyominoes play well in this game and i'm happy that they're here they make a lot of sense how the city was built on top of the older city and how you kind of need to place them in a proper order it's not as it's not as impactful as suburbia where like things need to be touching in a certain manner in a certain arrangement in order to score you points. But there is some of that, which is good. And yet at the same time, you could build out almost endless numbers of like suburban territory. So you could really build up the particular area without feeling choked. Like, Hey, if I don't fit this, it's a negative point. Or if I take a suburban area, it's full of negatives like Feast for Odin, right? There's no penalty to that. There's no penalty to try to grow or try to build something cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Rebuilding Seattle. 
All right, now on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is the Origins Game Fair Awards. We talk about this every year, and we are back talking about their latest and their greatest, I guess for the 2022-2023 season, Anthony? Yeah, it's it's never 100% clear where the cutoff is. I, I think we just assume it's 2022. Um, most of the games I'm seeing here are from last year, but... Yeah, no, it's a it's a good list of games, uh, and I don't know how many categories they have: five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. So, yeah, all these awards are like more categories, more. <laughs> we have to I thank would, everybody. <laughs> I would argue, make less. Ooh, <laughs> so, plot twist! Yeah, I know we have eight. <laughs> I think eight's a good number. Somebody's like fifteen, twenty, and then like yeah. The Golden Geeks with like 20 nominees in 20 categories. Like, that's a long list. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I think that's yeah, what it is. That's true. But also, true. I think it comes becomes a little bit of a problem when you, same, you see the same games in every category. Yeah. And you're just like, how many awards do you need? It's just like, if you're a great game, you should get a game based on that category. Like, you're just a great game. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Anthony, what categories do we have? What's our first category here? All right, let's kick it off. We got board games, uh, and these are all going to be on our board games. Social light strategy. So this is a- light family-ish ballpark. <laughs> I don't know. These are always wishy-washy. Um, we've got Castle Panic, Crowns and Quests expansion, Creature Comforts, Flamecraft. We know that one. Uh, Long Shot the Dice Game and The Finest Fish. So... I think Flamecraft and Longshot the Dice Game, we saw a lot of that in the Dice Tower Awards. The other ones I'm not as familiar with. I don't think I've even heard of Finest Fish. It's actually a fish board where you place scales on the fish. Oh, cute. Yeah. This is their wishy-washy category that we joked about earlier. It became social slash light strategy games. And again, it's also kind of weird that you know, depending on, like you said, it's such an odd category of very different games, especially the fact that there is an expansion in here. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't understand why that why that's a thing. I don't understand Castle Panic Crowns and Quest expansions is part of it's not a board game. It's an expansion. I don't know. Like make an expansion category like everybody else does. Right. Yeah. And Castle Panic's a great social light strategy game, but it's been out for a long time. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm again. We've talked about this a lot on the other awards programs. I have not played it, but I've heard very good things about Flamecraft. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I would imagine, based mm-hmm. on familiarity, if nothing else, because people vote on these, um, that would probably win. Yeah, obviously, Creature Comforts is cute. Again, I, I, I think it's a once again. I think it's a little bit of a problem when you have like. What's your idea here? Is it family? Is it kids? Is it general public? I don't know. So I'm going to go Flamecraft because I've seen kids and family play it. So that makes sense for me. Right. All right. Uh, next up, we have the strategy category. We have Evergreen from Horrible Guild, Foundations of Rome, Arcane Wonders, Hoplomachus Victorum uh, from Chip Theory, Planet Unknown, uh, which we saw a little bit of at the Dice Tower Awards from Adam's Apple, and then Three Sisters, 25th Century Games. Um, they're definitely skewing light here. Yes. Not, not as light as games, the first category, but these are all generally pretty light games. Yes, very much so. And again, I, I'm surprised that they're not following Board Game Geek's weight, because like you said, 
we're talking about games that are just at the two-point level. So, and again, a lot of these games are very different as far as like Foundations of Rome, you know, uh, and Planet Unknown. I don't know. Like you said, yeah. I think we talked about this before. Like, it wasn't the biggest year for what would I I would call strategy games, and these are all. I mean, I think almost. I mean, could you argue that not? I mean, every game's a strategy game. Is every game not a strategy game? Yeah, I mean, not every game is a strategy game, but it's like a random game are. experience. You have to put yeah, employs employs some strategy, right? Yeah, t- yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're rolling dice, like a purely luck based game is not going to be a strategy game. But there aren't that many of those anymore. So no. Yeah, this does. I mean, for me personally, this is not any of these games are like they're in the ballpark. But they're in the upper levels as far as like strategy is concerned. Because I'm thinking strategy, I'm thinking like long term strategy. Yeah, yeah. So something a little more crunchier than these. But uh, I don't know. Do you have a favorite here? Not really. No, I've not played any of these <laughs> games. <laughs> I like I like Fleet the Dice game. Uh, so Three Sisters is good because it's kind of built on that. But that's probably mm. as close as I can get. Gotcha. All right. What's up next? Thematic games. Uh, we have Dead Reckoning, Merchants of the Dark Road, My Father's Work, Tokyo Sidekick, and Wonderland War. Um, these are all familiar, and I think we saw all of these except for Tokyo Sidekick nominated by the Dice Tower uh, crew mm-hmm. um, for thematic gaming. Sure. So I, th- I think they all fit. We talked about Wonderland's War a bunch because it's been nominated for a bunch of other awards. I think that's a really mm-hmm. good one. Um, My Father's Work, also very thematic, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you think of the gameplay. <laughs> for sure and I, I guess the the one that we haven't heard which i guess is a little is the, the tokyo sidekick yeah from uh jap anime games which has got very cool artwork so yeah that's pretty fun uh and again i think wonderland's war is the thing that i've seen pop up again and again as far as like thematic is concerned yeah yeah I mean, i think that would capture it pretty well mm-hmm uh, all, all right, right, next up, we got the card games, Cat in the Box. Uh, it just says Cat in the Box, but we it's the deluxe <laughs> edition. Because the original edition was not much. Um, Scout, Sea Salt and Pepper, Touring Machine, and Undaunted Stalingrad. And I will throw out the same thing I've said every time with Touring Machine. It's not much of a game. So I, I know everybody wants to nominate it because it's very cool. Yep. But it's not much of a game. And it has cards, the little punch cards, but it's not a card game. <laughs> so, just got to get it out there. The rest of these are good. That one doesn't make any sense. I don't think the category... I mean, the, again, they're card games. No argument. But it's weird to have Cat in the Box or Turning Machine or even Scout or, like in the same category as Undaulted Stalingrad. Yeah, that's true. I don't... I don't know why that's a thing. <laughs> it's just, like, this is what you get with these kind of categories, though, is that you get these weird combinations, and it's fine. This is just how things work sometimes. Where you're like, how do you compare these? I don't, like, which, I guess which is doing the thing it's trying to do the best, and I would argue that it's Cat in the Box, probably, but I don't, yeah, again, comparing that to, like, a, a, a war game, like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, again, like, by what metric i mean they're all card games but then you get down to like what does that really mean as far as evaluation is concerned like you're saying like does it does it play well as a card game i mean 
Undaunted Stalingrad is pretty, I don't know, I don't want to say innovative or revolutionary as far as like it uses cards where usually right. you have boards and miniatures and things like that. So for that, I think that's pretty amazing. Whereas Cat in the Box, I think, wins typically like a card category game. But again, it's a trick-taking game. So, right. Uh, all right. <laughs> nah. Hard to say. Um, all right. Next up, we got children's games. Sure. Uh, here's the fun one based on what the light strategy category was. Castle Panic, second edition. So we're going back to the Castle Panic well <laughs> for the second edition, again, of a game that's like 15 years old. Sure. Okay. Um, and then the, the expansion for which is nominated in a different category that's not for expansions. Yeah. Uh, we've got Disney, a goofy game. One of the Funko games that came out last year. Mm-hmm. We have Honk. It's a game about geese. Looks very mm-hmm. cute. Uh, the Lunchroom Game and Turtle Splash. This is a interesting mix of children's games. It's a very interesting mix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think the the Castle Panic would be better in a revised, re-implemented, reprinted kind of situation. Um, because it's already been out there, and I, I think that's... That's a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm a all... good game. I, it's yeah. great to play with kids. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they changed a lot in the second edition. I can't say that it doesn't belong here. It's just weird that you have the expansion in the other category. Sure. Well, the one I've heard a lot about, have not played it yet, unfortunately, is, is oddly enough the Honk game. Yeah. <laughs> <It's, same>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this one comes from Sinister Fish Games, who publish all of the uh, like streets and villagers like those mm-hmm. games so sure uh generally assume it has you know a high level of quality to it and it looks cute like you know geese running it looks around like a kid, always... it looks like a kid game yeah yeah so we'll see which one people get a chance and this is a category where people legit could play them at origins and then vote because they're quick um, very cool mm-hmm. so that's all our board game categories these next categories are not board games um because gamma is not strictly Board gaming, it's all gaming. Um, so we're going to mm-hmm. run through these a little bit quicker because we don't know as much about them. Uh, collectibles, we've got Flesh and Blood Uprising, Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. the Brothers War Collection, Magic the Gathering, Universes Beyond Warhammer, Hero Clicks Hellfire Gala, Unmatched Houdini versus the Genie. Ooh. Yeah. Unmatched one is weird. I didn't realize those were collectible. I thought they were just like standalone games mm. you can play. I don't. I guess I don't know much about it, Unmatched. Um, but You got to get on it, man. I guess <laughs> it's epic duels, right? That's just re-implemented. It seems good. I guess, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of a fun thing. Uh, I could talk a little bit about the Hellfire Hellfire Gala, um, not the game itself. I mean, HeroClix has been around forever, <laughs> and we've we've talked about it forever. Um, the Hellfire Gala is part of the X Men, you know, universe, and in this, I guess, future or current version of X Men. Uh, they do, I guess, it, I guess the best way to say it, like you probably have seen or been pushed upon you. There's the Met Gala where you have all these celebrities dress up in these outrageous costumes. <laughs> well, in the X-Men comics, they put on the Hellfire, Hellfire Gala and all of these different mutants and superheroes and supervillains come to party and they dress in all these wondrous, outrageous, beautiful, you know, outfits. And now they're hero clicks. So... 
cool. I guess that's a thing. Um, <laughs> and then magic's always a thing. And then flesh and blood, I personally can't speak to, but we have friends who play it like crazy people. They just love it up and down and all around. And again, I think we talked about this recently too, as far as like, I think this was number, what, number four, as far as CCG collectible games in the yeah, market, it's, it's which like is like right behind the, the big three. Yeah. Yeah. And that's amazing. But again, from our friend's perspective, everybody out there, they love this game and they think it's a great game. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. All right. Good stuff. Uh, miniatures games. We've got Lion Rampart, Rampant, not Rampart, Lion Rampant, uh, second edition. We have Northgard, Uncharted Lands. Omicron mm-hmm. Protocol, Polyversal Sci-Fi Miniatures System, and Rapture. I have not heard of any of these. Have you? <laughs> I I can't I can't say. I think the only one I've heard about briefly was Northgard, um, but I have not played any of these. I didn't know these existed until now, which is pretty cool because they're miniature games. Again, not the traditional miniature games that like not the 40k. I'm surprised that we're seeing new stuff out there which is great yeah yeah nothing from the the big publishers here no i uh, wonder what happened there they they certainly have something that must have happened that's all i have to say <laughs> i always wonder how these nominations work someday we should ask them like it's like <clears throat> it almost feels like certain publishers are not included like maybe they're not part of gamma so they can't be considered or they didn't submit games for consideration there must be something to that because occasionally yeah. there'll be like very glaring omissions yeah, and I can't imagine this day and age with how big 40K is that it's not somewhere in here. And Right, yeah. Like, I don't know what they're releasing right now, but I'm sure they release something. So, And then there's other, there are other companies here that are overrepresented. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the RPG stuff. We have the core books, uh, Blackbirds from Andrews McMeal Publishing, Blade Runner, the role-playing game from Free League, Coyote, Coyote and Crow, uh, self-published Tea Time Adventures from Snowbright Studio and The One Ring from Free League Publishing. So we've got a couple IP games there from Free League and Blade Runner mm-hmm. and The One Ring, and then some other like indie type of RPGs, which uh, admittedly look very cool. Like I'm not a yeah. big. I love these kind of cozy looking role playing games, like just to have the book. So like Tea Time Adventures yeah. looks really cute, um, like a frog and toad type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and The One Ring is just I've always loved that production. Like especially yeah. the, the newer stuff they've been releasing lately. Absolutely. Second edition. Yeah, and even if you don't play, I mean, as as you and I play have played historically RPGs and we just started a new one, they're just great to have as far as books are concerned. Yeah. yeah great artwork, exactly. great lore, and some mechanics thrown in there that you can like have fun to take a look at. Yeah. Um RPG supplements. So uh, existing games with, with new supplements here. We have Agents of Dune from Odiphius. Blade Runner Starter Box from Free League Publishing, Fallout Starter Box from Modifius, Warhammer Fantasy, Enemy Within Volume 5 from Cubicle 7, and the Zweihander Starter Box from Andrews McMeal. So, lots of IP stuff here. Mostly, yeah. mostly IP stuff here. <laughs> so. Yeah. Maybe it has to be an IP to get like a significant expansion for this. Yeah, the supplements. Um, yeah. I've not personally played any of these, although I, I do have friends back in Pittsburgh who loved Warhammer Fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a dark world, so that, that's a fun one. Yeah, and Dune's really big right now, so I'm not surprised that that's up there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, that new trailer just dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right, so we have gaming accessories, Call to Adventure art decks, the deluxe board game train sets, uh, Power Rangers Zordon dice tower and GM screen, the deck of many animated conditions, and the deck of many animated illusions. Okay. Which I say, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, I mean, Call to Adventure is a very, very simple game, not, not very yeah. complicated. Um, the artwork has always been outstanding for the game. I'm surprised that they even need to do a collector's edition because they're just the base game. It has beautiful artwork, but that's always nice to see. You know, I mean, more artwork, all the better, and typically expensive. The additional trains, I mean, again, cool, right? Can you never have enough upgraded pieces? That's pretty neat, especially for all of your train fans out there. Uh, I know, Anthony, you're a big Power Ranger fan, so the, the Zordon Dice Tower is probably your thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I gotta get one of those. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. I, I think if there is a category that's a win-win category across the board, it is the accessory category, because there's just, it benefits, I mean, no one's purchasing all of these, because no one plays all these types of very different games, but these are all good upgrades for games, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, so a couple categories for you. I know you like this stuff. Um, 2D art and illustration. So we have Seven Sinners, Mana Project Studios, Cowboys with Big Hearts from Bully Pulpit, Cult of the Deep from BA Games, Everyday Heroes, The Hunt from Evil Genius Games, and Galaxy Trucker, Keep on Truckin', the expansion there from Czech Games Edition. Uh, they have links for all of these except for the first one, and... Like visually, some very interesting and unique stuff here, right? Like, and it's all over the place. Like, it's not necessarily like illustrations in a board game. Like, some of this is illustrations in RPG books. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the expansion for Galaxy Trucker is just the illustrations on the cards in that game. But uh, it's fun stuff. It's I like categories like this because I think it's we don't do enough to recognize artists uh, oh, in the hobby. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the big ones, we hear their names all the time, but just regular stuff. We don't really hear these people. Sure. And, and obviously they went out of their way here because there's a category for 2D art and there's a category for 3D art. Mm-hmm. And again, I just like the accessory category. I think that if you play or like this particular type of game, I think you're probably going to like that particular type of art. And all of these are... There's a wide variety of really quality work here. So... I don't know how you give an award out here. That's the only thing I will say. But again, I guess people put in for their favorites. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that was my big question. It's like, how do you pick the best? Yeah. Um, yeah. So on the 3d art side, since you mentioned that we got the fallout wasteland warfare, super mutant swan, which is just this crazy looking miniature for the fallout wasteland warfare game. Um, Frostgrave fireheart elk, uh, another miniature from, um, Osprey games. We have Omicron Protocol, Jugger the Elephant, and then Time Capsules. And Time Capsules looks to be just a game. Um, so the, the award here is for the overall production of these round pieces that are in yes. the game, like these little capsules that you build and put stuff inside of. Yeah, again, I think this is all great. Anytime you, you could have upgraded pieces, and again, since they're so very different from each other, I don't know how you <laughs> you take like some giant, you know, roided out demonic monster and you're like, hey, and also a ball. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> what do you like better? You're like, eh, 
I play the ball game. So the ball, the ball game, right? The ball game. Right. It's got to be the ball game and not the super yeah. mutant. No, I don't, I don't know. So good for you all. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's weird that they call it 3D art, but okay. I don't know. Hey, it all, if you ask me, are these things all 3D art? I'll be like, yep. So can't argue with it. <laughs> Just just make a matrix category. That's all I'm saying. Just just yeah, do it. I, I think that would be best. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And then the last of the art groups, we have graphic design. So these are almost all RPG books. So uh-huh. we're looking just at art direction, I think is probably the better way to put this. Defiant RPG, Norse Grimoire, Pathfinder Savage Worlds box set, and Tome of Chaos are all RPG books or sets. The one standout in this category is Dolce, which is a... Mm-hmm game from stronghold games um that is it's a more traditional card game so sure um it's i mean again not stuff i'm personally familiar with but like looking through like the images that are posted just on the websites they look very interesting and i like the idea of awarding just general overall visual presentation especially of like the we talked with rpg books as being yeah. almost like table uh, coffee table books or art books yes. so yeah let's give an award for that that's great yeah i i can't stress enough how i'm like look we always talk about the beautiful pieces of art on the covers and sometimes in the game and the illustrations illustrations deserve its own category well how you delineate what wins or what doesn't and what you know how certain things fit in that's another story for a different day i don't it's weird because, like, I obsess over the illustrations and and board and card games and even RPGs, and I didn't know really anything there. Again, surprised the Galaxy Trucker is there, but okay. But the graphic design is so integral to gameplay, and I think that's a category where you can really delineate like what is really high quality graphic design versus just like what's okay. Because again, great graphic design should be evocative of the theme but also as much if not more so in some cases informative and i can't tell you how many games we played uh darwin's journey i've I've been playing a lot and the map there is just all kinds of mess it just is i mean the rest of the game is fine but that map which you spend most of your time traveling is just it's just it's just it's bad so you really want great graphic design so and again Thank you all you graphic design people out there who do such a great job to make these games playable because if you go through any rule book, whether it's especially if it's an RPG, but any rule book and try to figure out what you're supposed to be doing, bad graphic design, whether it's in the game or in the books is going to ruin your time. Like there's just no in between. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> messes everything up. I, there are several games I won't play because they're just hard to look at. So absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we're going to end this admittedly a little bit on a whimper uh, with the reviews category <laughs> why does this exist i don't know um it's it's in a, it's an oddball one too because there are five nominees here and four of them are from two <laughs> individuals so we've got doctors and daleks player guide and the doctor who the role-playing game are both reviewed by the rat okay um, Grant's Greatest Games of November and the Best of Origins Game Fair from Grant's Game Rex are from Grant's Game Rex. <laughs> and then the Mind Management Review on Board Game Quest, which is a website I've heard of. So, 
<laughs> all of these are fine. Like I've I've read these reviews, I've watched them. They look good. They're professional grade. They like there's nothing wrong with them. I appreciate the work that's being done. I don't know any of these people in, individually, so I can't speak to you know their approach, but they're good. I just don't know what makes them origins award worthy. And again, that's not saying they're not worthy. I just don't know what the criteria are or how they selected these. I'd be interested to know. Uh, sure. Like we learned, for example, we learned the Spiel des Jahres. A big part of that is how easy can you read the rule book? Right? Yes. That's good to know. That helps us understand the award better. Like, what is it about these reviews that makes them stand out from the literal thousands of reviews that are released every year? Sure. Um, I don't know. I would be especially. Yeah, especially where four out of the five are from, you know. Two websites, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Maybe we can ask them. Like, we'll find out whoever the winner is. We'll talk to them. Like, hey, what would you do? <laughs> what was different here? It would be it'd be cool if there was, again, and, and you, can, you could do this a million different ways. If there was some sort of, like, maybe it would be taken out of this and make more of a competition or something. Like, pick a game and then anyone who wants to submit a review of that game which could submit it and then you decide from that right what's 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 the best review yeah. you know what work, what works the best for you know the audience as far as like is this informative is it creative is it funny is it in depth like that kind of stuff i think that would make a lot more sense at least to me i don't understand like you said how or why but our job is not to know how or why, Anthony. It's the Origin Game Fair Awards. And they've yep. done it again, buddy. They've done it again. <laughs> they've done it again, yes. They haven't we done it quite they... as much as they've done it in the past, but they certainly did it. <laughs> so... Yeah, they did it. <laughs> and there's our review. Not up for a submission or a death laser this year, but that's our review. Yeah. Well, Anthony, <laughs> with, all of, with all of that fun stuff said... Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. See ya. Bye.